everyone, welcome to the Life of Education podcast. So today we're here with Steve Cronin from Dead Simple Saving and this is part two of our talk. Hello again. Hi. Welcome Steve, <laughs> welcome back. Thank you very much, always a pleasure to be here. Good, glad. So last time you were here we were talking about how to help fitness professionals uh, sort out their financial future and kind of get financially aware um, about their own situation. So do you want to do a little bit of a recap as to what we talked about last time? Sure. So uh, I, I found that people are really helped by having a series of steps to what I call financial independence. And if, if they can see that it's, it's like a staircase, if they can see all the steps then they can believe that it's actually possible. Yeah. That they don't have to live hand to mouth. They don't have to worry about their car breaking down. Um, and I see it as my mission is to make these steps as simple and understandable for people as possible, um, which is kind of the opposite of the financial services industry where they're trying to make things as complicated as possible because what they're trying to do is to sell you some kind of product or service that makes them lots of money. And therefore, uh, the more complicated it is, the less likely you're to go, oh, wait a sec, that doesn't sound right for me. Um, so you're just like, oh, okay, that's the way it is. I'll, I'll sign up. Same yeah. with the the news and, and especially you know, CNBC and, and these, these channels that are showing the stock market going up and down. Uh, they are just there to pump you full of fear. And so I think... Um, for a fitness professional who, you know, fitness fitness and, and finances are, are related in terms of tracking expenses, tracking weight loss, uh, but the the jargon of the different industries is, is completely different. And so there's no reason why your average fitness guy uh, should know anything about investing or anything really about, about financial services. Um, and unfortunately that means that they can get restuck really in some of these traps. And I see it as my mission to kind of unwind all that and 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 to teach uh, the average person um, who doesn't necessarily have to be that confident about maths, doesn't know anything about financial services, um, teach them that uh, being good with money is possible and not even that painful. Um, and actually, um, you can you can unwind that all together and, and, and say, well, it doesn't have to be painful. It's actually quite enjoyable. Um, if in, if you are, it's maybe painful to say, no, I'm not going to go to brunch with my mates because I can't afford it. Yeah. But the, the, the pleasure of paying off your, your last installment yeah, your on your card. car loan yeah. or on your credit card is is just fantastic and you feel like you're in control and you stand that little bit yeah, taller. Yeah, usually I've been there. I've been there and I've got that moment where it's like, whew, for the first time on my phone, I see all the zeros. It's like, this is the moment that I've been waiting for for such a long time is to be able to clear this debt, have zeros on my screen. Yeah. And now consider myself, okay, I've got a little bit of control of that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm on the pathway. I'm not rich, but I'm yeah. not in debt. Yeah, we call it achieving broke. So you yeah. start off, you start <laughs> off negative, right? <laughs> yeah, and and especially yeah. these days, people are graduating from university with massive student loans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're starting negative, and it might take them two, three years, sometimes more, to to achieve broke and to reach that zero, so that your net worth is is actually zero. But the discipline that you've learnt from paying off your debt means that once you hit that zero, 
you don't stop you just blow way past it mm. and you keep going yeah uh, whereas if you've had a super high salary every year and it just comes in with a nice bonus and you work you get used to working really hard in your little cubicle and then you uh, you get a nice big salary and you're like well when i when i become a partner at this firm that's when i'll start saving money but you don't know how to save money and so what you find is that you get more and more money in your bank and it kind of burns a hole there and you just think oh maybe i i do need that fancy watch and that fancy car and that fancy yacht and that fancy swiss chalet and you just keep going because you've never learned how to save and how to stop spending money. So the earlier you learn, the better. Um, if you are a penniless fitness instructor... <laughs> I'm sure. I was. Don't I, worry. I kind of still am. Yeah, don't worry. Now is the best time to learn these things. Yeah. So basically, we're getting started. Absolutely. We're Amazing. Getting, we're getting started. All right, so, so tell us about your steps. So let's quickly recap on the first five mm -hmm. steps. So just for those who are just listening to the audio on this, when the audio goes out, we've sitting at a little whiteboard and we've got a list of just five, five steps, 10 steps to financial independence, yeah? Yes. Number one is mindset. And we talked a lot about that last time, the idea that you have to believe that you won't be a penniless fitness instructor for the rest of your life, that you can take control of your finances, you can get out of debt, and you can uh, become wealthy. You absolutely can if you, if you are disciplined. And you can be good at the fairly simple maths that it takes to do this, um, and, and you can have the right mindset. You can get rid of all the, the bad and, and weird attitudes to money that your parents and other people put into your head um, you can clear those out and you be can become good with money so so that's number one uh, interesting what 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 Andrew Hallam said um, on uh, on on your previous episode where where inside of you is a, is an old person <laughs> that that you are responsible for looking after and making sure that they have a, a good yeah that's struck a chord with me for sure yeah and uh, what I what I learned this week is someone went a step further and said that, that there's a there's an old Native American saying that you are investing for the next seven generations. So imagine that if you're if you're deciding to whether to go to brunch or not, <laughs> yeah, and you think, well, <laughs> I'm actually investing for the next se seven generations. Now we know that a 500 Durham brunch, if you invest that over 30 years, uh, that will multiply by 10 and that will become 5,000 dirhams. Uh, but imagine seven generations, how much worth that brunch is uh, to your great, 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 great grandchildren. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Now, it's a little bit of an extreme way to think about it, and you don't have to make every single decision like that. Um, but it is definitely something to think about, is that you are creating a legacy, and every decision that you make uh, is in some way impacting. So if you're struggling to save money, you can think about those next seven generations. So that's the mindset. The next thing is the is to track your your net worth, um, and your net worth is the difference between your assets, the things you own, and your liabilities. So you have cash in the bank, uh, you might have some savings, you might have invested in some stocks already, you might have a a, a property possibly in one day, one day, uh, and then liabilities, credit cards, mortgages and uh, any money that you owe to other people. And the difference between those is your net worth. And this is the single 
most important thing for you to track ever because what you want to do is it may be negative now but you want to get to zero and then blow past that and just see it going up and up and up uh, so it's very important to to track that and you can do it on one page of excel and uh, really simplifies your life to just have that uh, all on one page the next thing is to track your monthly savings rate and that's how much income do you have um, versus your expenses and it's a little bit like running your own business profit and loss your P&L um, and this is really important to do as a as a fitness instructor also especially if you are working for yourself because there are some months mm. where this income might be considerably smaller than your yeah. expenses the seasons pass by summer yeah. is quiet yeah yeah summer and holidays and, and and if that's true you need to be really honest with yourself you know we all wander around Dubai pretending that everything's great and our business is doing really well. And if it's not, and this income just isn't there, you have to do one of two things. You either have to reduce your expenses radically or you have to find another way to increase your expenses. Uh, so increase your income, uh, like the side hustles that we were talking mm -hmm. about last time, um, or uh, just you know admit that it's not working and find some, some other job. It's not worth your pride. I think so many people link their self-esteem to money and material things, having a nice flat, having an income, or creating their own business, which is like a baby. Um, and that, that baby can completely drain all of your finances and all of your savings until one day you're absolutely broke and in debt, and then you have to admit that it's not working. Uh, we don't want anyone to get to that state. So, so by tracking these, you can tell whether things are going well or whether they're going badly. In an ideal world, this is, this is so good and your savings rate, so the difference between your income and expenses, um, people used to say 10%, 20% here, so that every, every, every month you're saving 10 to 20% of your, of your income uh, and you're putting that away for your future. If, if you are doing that, that's fine. If you can save more, even better. So, so just try and maximize this as hard as you can. And I see a, a golden triangle between your net worth and your savings rate and your happiness. Yeah, I remember and you saying that last time. Every <coughs> single decision should, should go through that, should be filtered through that triangle. So should I go to brunch, right, is the, is the classic Dubai question. Well, is it going to make me happy? Uh, do I actually like these people or have I just been invited I'm and going I feel to like they're my Oh, there you go. So, so, are these my real friends or are they kind of pseudo friends where we just hang out and make ourselves feel less miserable? Hopefully, it's not like that. Um, is it going to, is it so ridiculously expensive uh, that it's going to really impact my savings rate? How is my net worth going at the moment? All of these things, these things are linked. Um, and that's why it's also really important to have goals and, and to commit to those goals and have some kind of accountability partner uh, like you two. And, and with those goals, if, if your net worth is negative, then your goal is just to get to zero. So pick, a, pick an arbitrary goal, a certain amount in the bank by the end of the year or... You want, you want your net worth. I mean, the net worth is, is the best goal to, to track, uh, which will be related to how much you have in your bank. And you might say, okay, well, I've got 
my net worth is now 100,000 or whatever. I want it to be 1 million in five years' time, which means by next year it needs to be at least 200,000. And then you start looking backwards and say, well, what's my savings rate need to be to, to, to get there? And what changes in my lifestyle do I need? Maybe I don't have enough income. Maybe my expense is too high. Maybe I need to start investing. Um, what am I going to do to start moving that number forward? And then you track your net worth every month. So the first of the, first of the month, you, you get your spreadsheet out, you update your numbers. It takes literally less than 30 minutes. Um, and if your net worth's going backwards, well, like it will sometimes, uh, then you need to start thinking, well, what's what's going on but at least you're tracking it yeah at least, you're at least you are in control yeah. of it because people people have have no idea uh, they yeah. have no idea what their debt is i think last time we spoke about a lot of people sticking their head in the sand and just ignoring their financial landscape of yeah. their life uh, so that's really important even if it is going backwards that you're at least aware of what the situation is and there's not this denial which can happen for some people. Awareness is is absolutely everything. It's like it's a bit like being in the gym, never weighing yourself, not being able to see the the numbers on the dumbbells, and just people handing you. You know, sometimes the dumbbells are heavy, sometimes they're light. You know, you're not going to make any progress if you can't track any of these things, and and you're so in the dark. Um, in fact, it's like being it's like being in the gym in the dark and you're just like stumbling around and then you trip over a barbell or something. You, like, you don't and bang your head on the, on for, the Smith For me, machine. when I was struggling with my finances, like just credit card debts, nothing, nothing too severe compared to what some people are. I just didn't, I knew right, I need to stop spending and I need to earn more. Like that will just change my life. And I, but I had now, beyond that large goal, I had now a little mini strategy. You know, I know I couldn't break that down, like setting smaller goals, tracking your expenses, like we spoke about last time. Um, all these little things, like okay, when you have a problem, this is the solution, and this is the solution. I think that's where people miss. I think people sort of might understand I have a financial problem, but I can forget about it this Friday because it's the weekend and I'm going out. Like when I had very little money, I was used to having no money, so. It didn't bother me to just go, well, I've no money this month, I'll have no money next month. Let me just book that holiday. You know? Which yeah. is which is crazy. Don't get me wrong. But I think having these smaller strategies like, right, this is your this is your goal. To get this goal we need to have the net worth in line. To have the net worth in line we need to have your expenditure down. And then how do you get your expenditure down? You track your expenses. You you see what you're what you're spending on. You get that awareness, like you're just saying of <gasps> oh my gosh, I'm spending that much on takeaways or I'm spending that much on cinema or petrol when I could shave off those corners and save a lot more. So I think these, these lists are really useful in that sense. Um, there's nobody really, people know they have a problem, I think, but people don't know how to get into the weeds of it. If you are living quite, if you don't have much money and, and you're living quite frugally in a, in a relatively poor life, but you're just splashing on certain things like a holiday, it's fairly easy to turn around and, and, and cut those off. I think it's much easier actually for a, for a fitness instructor to become really frugal and, and to start rapidly increasing their savings rate than it is for someone who lives in a massive mansion mm -hmm. with all the associated costs the bigger the house the bigger the sure. costs um, who feels that to go on holiday they need 10 pieces of luggage and basically take half their house with them for those people who are used to that lifestyle it's super hard um, 
if you run your own business or or you're in the fitness industry i mean certainly from my experience you can um you can have quite a, a, a simple life and that ability um once you do start making money you you've built those those frugality muscles and it means once you start earning a good income you can keep your expenses fairly low and then your savings rate will go way up and then suddenly you'll start building your net worth really quickly um so having that tough initial year yeah. or two years that actually is really useful so I, I understand all of these concepts. They all make sense. But maybe for people who don't understand, what would be the point of increasing our savings rate and what are we going to do with our savings? So obviously, you're not going to just let it sit there because it does nothing. So what what's the point of that in, in the end? <laughs> yeah, the the point is, is really uh, independence. So when we talk about financial independence, it means that you are independent from having to get a job uh, you you have enough money that you can really do whatever you want in life. Um, or there's another thing which is called kind of burger flipping financial independence, which means that if you just loved flipping burgers, if you just loved it, you know, the sizzling and, and everything, but it doesn't make much money. If you have a lot of savings in the, in the bank, you can do a job that doesn't make much money. If you just loved being a PT and having three clients a day, even if that brought in not a lot, you could still do it. And the the work that your savings are doing in the background enables you to have that lifestyle. Now you're talking fitness instructor's language, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is the power of this. So that if you know, and you do everything with intention and every single dollar that you earn is going to be allocated a purpose and it's going to go and work just like you make your clients work hard you're going to make every dollar that you earn work hard then it's working while you sleep it's working while you work and it's compounding and it's earning interest and it's in the market and the market's going up on average then uh, that takes the pressure massively off you and it means that Ultimately, if you if you are working with 10 clients a day, you're like, I know why this is tough, but I know why I'm doing this. I'm doing this so that in two years time, five years time, whatever it is, I only need to have three clients a day. And those clients will be people that I actually like and that I love teaching. And at times be, that I like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At, at 9 a.m. or whatever. And and I will have the life of my dreams. And that is what money can do for you. And, and people just think that money flows through them and that they'll always be in debt and, and that they'll always be stressed. And the way to combat that stress is to buy a nice handbag or to buy a fancy car or to book that fancy holiday. Um, and, and that's just an ongoing vicious circle. Can I also add in there as well, I think a lot of fitness instructors, because I've heard it and I was guilty of it as well in the past, they have this idea that it's not about the money why they're in the industry. And I've, I've caught myself thinking that in the past. I remember having conversations with my colleagues, my old bosses, where uh, we were all on this idea where it's not about the money, it's just about what we do. That's not true because you end up in debt, you end up in trouble. Like, people need to focus on having money. I, 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 one thing you were just saying, it just, just kind of triggered that out of my mind. And 
I don't know if this is sort of if this will be a frowned upon approach to have in the fitness industry that it's you're just a money grabber. It's like, well, this isn't about. Well, mo- I think some industries it's socially acceptable to be to be m- like if you're looking at stockbrokers, you immediately know that they're there for the a money. specific reason. Uh, the fitness industry is a little bit different because you're also facilitating other people's well-being. So people don't want to assume that you're there only for for the money. They want to assume that you're there to help them as well. But at the end of the day, you have to pay your you rent. You have to pay your bills yeah. and you have to pay your debts. Like you and do. And you, need as an individual, need to be happy and healthy yeah. in all facets of your life, and that yeah. includes finances. So I wonder. Uh, this is this would be a very different conversation to go down. But I wonder is that something that the industry needs to shift its perspective on? not overcharging and not grabbing and not being brutal and and kind of ripping people off but just say just focusing on the financial side of the business and making it work making the income higher than the expenditure and then charging and not accepting less money for what you do yeah this is a really really important point and i think it's not just people in the fitness industry who have this it's also people in creative industries where they're like I'm an artist, darling, and I shouldn't be charging money for this. You know, the money isn't the important side of it. And and in both industries, uh, people need to come to the realization that they have to respect themselves and they have to respect their time. And time equals money. So I totally agree you shouldn't be a money grabber. And we've all met those people in any industry, in the creative industry or in the fitness industry, where every interaction is about money rather than about service or or what we can do together. So yes, you can go too far. Yeah. But I think most people are are too tilted towards the service and the sacrifice and just the mindset that that you'll never be able to make good money out of the industry and that if you did it would be in some way dirty yeah. and you would be you'd be screwing your clients in some way and and that's absolutely not true and i think if you are building a business you have to and you certainly when you start to have employees uh it is it is up to you to provide for those employees and if you're not charging enough and if you're getting in the wrong type of clients like the cheapskate clients who don't value you and aren't willing to pay for your services then ultimately you're doing a disservice to your employees because your company will probably go bankrupt and they'll have to find another job. Yeah. And they won't be happy either. Yeah, because I remember it hit me, uh, uh, this is a brief story, but I was in a gym with a lot of freelancers and there was a new girl come in and I was just talking to her and she left her previous job where she's on a low commission for the rate that the client's paying and she went into the freelance uh, part of the industry. And we're just talking about it, you know, you can pick your hours, blah, blah. And I said to her, yeah, and you make more money. And she stopped me. She cut me off and frowned. It's not about the money. And I just, it, it stopped me in my tracks because I I didn't want to say, yes, it is. Because I felt that I was, was I this money grabber? But I also wanted her to think like, don't think it's not about the money because you do need to pay your rent and you do need to pay your bills. I, the conversation got very awkward very quickly and I just finished it. But I was, this was an awkward topic. So I don't know how you deal with it. Yeah. I was going to say something, but I was going to say that sometimes I think it really depends where people are in their life and their financial background. Maybe some people who, yeah, who have a very different, um, what is the word? 
you, you guys understand what I mean. It's almost right? like an ideology, but it's not an ideology. That's no, too extreme. Like, like, for example, say, say for example, someone who is very wealthy, their family has a lot of money. Maybe for them, it's not about about that at all, and they're going into the industry really because it's a hobby. Um, so di- different people have very different financial backgrounds. So I think that might also influence their outlook on yeah, how possibly. they how they look forward at things. Eh, I think same. we we have to eat. And we have to provide for our families. And ultimately, everybody has the right to some version of the American dream, which is that if you work hard, you'll be successful and you can retire happily and and pass on a bit of money to your children and and help them um, and and enjoy the benefits of your hard work. So... uh, Ultimately, in some way, it is about the money. You are entitled to, to make money in your life. And, and if you've chosen to be in the fitness industry um, within some kind of balance, you you should be confident in asking for money for your time, whether that's asking your boss or if you're self-employed, um, asking your clients and being confident in charging. And, and certainly... Um, you'll find that the first time that you you ask for a higher number than you expect um, when you're charging a client, uh, it, it's a real test of your confidence. And you ask them and you're like, well, this is a bit of a cheekily high number. And then when they say, oh, yeah, that's fine. It's an amazing moment. Yeah. <coughs> and actually, you should go beyond that to some extent. You should be charging such a high number that some people are going to say no because if you're not then you're not getting the most value for your time and your abilities because there's always going to be some people who can't afford your services and you have to find those you have to find those people so once they say no then you're like okay well i i think i've reached my my limit my current limit now yeah because enough people are saying yes and you might be making 30, 50, 100% more money from those clients because you put your prices up. So don't offend everybody by being so high and pricing yourself out of the market that nobody says yes to you. But at least find some people that are willing, that will say no to you because then you've priced it right. Yeah. And having people say no to you in general is, is a good skill. To and accept. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Because you have to work on your self-esteem um, and then you won't, have your self-esteem linked to, uh, to to your money. Um, so this is a bit challenging, and we're talking about growing your net worth and growing your uh, growing your savings, but at the same time, trying to separate your self-esteem from money. Um, that's a bit of a poverty mindset, I think. If you if your self-esteem is based on how much you have, you'll always be worrying about it, and you'll never have enough. But once you realise, actually. I could sleep on a park bench and I'll be just fine. But I also happen to have a million dollars in the bank. That's the best of both worlds because then you're truly independent. Uh, You're independent because of money, but you're also independent from money. I think that's really important. So that's the the number four, that's goals. So goals, Mm. just set a goal for your net worth every month or every quarter and just try try and get there. Let's now talk about how you start achieving those goals. The first thing is is debt. 
we covered this bit before. I know Andrew Hallam has, has covered it as well with you. Um, focus on the really toxic debt. Anything with an interest rate over 5%, that tends to be credit cards. Absolutely get rid of them. Uh, start with the credit card that has the highest interest rate and just put every sinew of your being uh, into reducing that debt as fast as humanly possible. That also, and get creative about this. If if things are really bad and you can't see a way out of out of uh, out of the situation, and you're literally drowning in debt, like you cannot bring in enough income to pay off your debt on time, especially if you're not making the minimum payments, because that starts getting really bad. If that's happening, then maybe ask a friend or, or ideally ask someone in your family, like, can I just borrow some money uh, from you at a super you know, low interest rate yeah. and, and then at least pay off this debt so that, y- because otherwise what will happen, if you're just making the minimum payment on your credit card, your credit card debt will go up and up and up almost exponentially because of compounding. So compounding uh, interest on interest is fantastic when you're saving, but when you're in debt, it works against you the other way and your credit card debt will just go up and up and up. And uh, that's how banks make money out of you. And you must, must stop this. This is where you cannot have your head in the sand. Otherwise, you'll be at the airport in Dubai Fleeing <laughs> Dubai, car. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you'd be on that park <laughs> bench. It will happen. No so yeah, exactly. It'll happen so quickly. So you have to be super serious and super focused about this, um, and find someone to talk to about it because it, mentally it's not easy. Um, and and go and talk to your banks if you're really struggling. Go and talk to them. Be honest with them and say I I need to get a consolidation loan, for example. So I have. I have three credit cards. I've got hundred thousand dirhams on on the balance. I can't I can't pay it off. Can you convert it into a loan at eight percent instead of the credit card rate of forty percent? These sorts of things will, will literally save your life. You have to take it very very seriously, and and forget investing in the stock market or anything until you've paid off that toxic debt. And that debt, I say, the threshold is about five percent. If you have debt of between three to five percent, then you can consider whether to pay it off or not. Three to five percent of what? Of of so so if you have an interest rate okay. of three to five percent, sure. then you have to start thinking, well, do I need to pay this off or is my money gonna work harder for me in something else? If you have um the sort of loan like a, a mortgage or even a car loan, which tends to be lower, it might be 2% a year, then uh, depending on your personality, some people just hate to have any kind of debt at all, in which case, fine, just pay off all your debt. But uh, if you can earn 8% in the stock market and uh, your debt interest rate is 2%, well, actually, it might be better to put that money to work in the stock market yeah. make a net difference of 6% rather than just paying off the debt. That doesn't work at all for credit card debt where the interest mm-hmm. rate is 40%, but it might for mortgages. Um, another point though, when I mentioned car loans, car loans are just generally a terrible idea and it goes completely against all the things that we've been talking about uh, because uh, you're much better off buying a, a rusty old banger 
for very little money than getting a car loan and getting a slightly fancier car than you than you need just to impress people because firstly you're on that treadmill of trying to impress people with your money which will never work because once they realize you don't have any money then <laughs> that's the end of it mm. secondly you'll attract the wrong type of people into your life mm. the people who are impressed by your fancy car they're never the right people to have in your life uh, the people you want in your life are the people where you turn up in a really ridiculously awful car and then they still love you uh, that's mm. I haven't important. heard the phrase banger in a while <laughs> since you just said it, a rusty old banger. It's a good, uh, yeah. it's good. That's the kind of car you need. If you get a car loan, the problem, especially for a new car, the moment you drive the car off the car lot, it just plummets in value. And then after the first year, it's just going to plummet in value again. And you can get in a nasty situation where the value of your car becomes less than the total cost of your debt in the car loan which means that even if you sold the car, You'd you still, still wouldn't dead. pay off all your yeah. debt. People sort of accept that, don't they? It's just the norm. Mm. You know, you get a car loan, you pay it off for, for a couple of years, and if you sell it, you might still have a little bit to pay extra. This is a huge point, is that the norm is getting suckered by the financial services industry. So getting a big student loan, mm. getting a big car loan, getting a mortgage um, for for a house that's far bigger than you need, for a car that's far fancier than you need, for a course that you don't necessarily need to do, these are all the norm. Do you know? I was going to say to you, I don't, uh, I don't think it's just the financial services industry. It really is every industry because when we start looking at marketing and how marketing can manipulate people psychologically into feeling the need that they need to, sorry, feeling like they need to buy things to. Uh, to make themselves feel better or actually feel like feel anything like particularly I know for men and women it's very different but for women it's very much about what you wear and how you look and all of those things and you get into this like thing of needing to buy oh I need to buy this handbag or I need to buy these shoes or I need to buy this because you need to present yourself in a certain way so I don't think it's just the financial services industry it's every industry and to the point where they're even doing this to kids like you have to have this new toy yeah. and this new doll and this new thing and we're so attached to the feeling of what these new objects feel without actually thinking well i don't really i don't really need that i don't need a new pair of shoes and i don't need this especially and in this city yeah. absolutely you can buy a ferrari baby buggy and uh, that's this is probably the only place in the world where you can buy a Ferrari yeah. baby buggy or a Louis Vuitton buggy because they know that people will spend money on this and they say, my kid has to have the best and they have to have the little Gucci shoes or whatever. It's completely yeah. ridiculous. Your child does not need that. Yeah, I've um, seen like uh, Dolce & Gabbana onesies like for, for toddlers yeah, and for babies. Yeah, I do those little baby it's shops. Like, what? And I'm like, that's a designer baby clothes yeah, shop. Yeah, and it's a thousand dirhams how for long, a onesie. Yeah, how long will the kid wear that for? Oh, it, it's completely ridiculous. And, uh, and it's a very important point you're making here is that businesses make money by selling you stuff, whether it's a product or a service. And so they're going to try to persuade you that you need these things. But most of the time, you don't need these things. And you need the things that are actually free. You need friendship. You need to go and jump in the sea. Mm, uh, sunlight, you need, you need your food. health. Uh, you need to do a few press-ups on yeah, the beach. Yeah. Um, these are the really important things. 
and uh, everything else is just window dressing and really everything else is just making up for your lack of self-esteem. So if you can go and read The Daily Stoic and then have rock solid self-esteem and say, I don't need fancy stuff to be popular. I don't need fancy stuff to be happy. Then, mindset, Mm. uh, then you will have such a richer life and probably both in internal riches and literally money riches as well. You will save so much money and ultimately you will be a lot happier because you will be free from this treadmill of earning and spending. Yeah, buying and buying and buying and buying and buying. Exactly. Should we move on to number six? Yep. Yeah, let's do it. I'll rub this out. If you just want to talk about it firstly, do you have the pen there handy, Steve? Yeah, it's just here. So number six. So, okay, number six. Yeah. What are we talking here? Number six. Right. So number six is build a cash buffer. And uh, you've probably heard this a little bit before. You just need some money when you're starting out on your savings journey. Pay off your debt first. You know, like make sure you have a thousand dollars or something just squirreled away somewhere so that if something bad happens that you can pay your rent in time you can escape the country if you need to. Mm. Uh, you can fly home if your mum gets sick. Make sure you have some kind of buffer. So tell me, what <coughs> what does that buffer need to be? How much are we talking right. about so, now? So if you're still in the stage where you're paying off your credit card debt, then just have a small buffer. Like we're talking about $1,000 here, just squirreled away somewhere so that if you have a little bump in your cash flow or... A relative gets sick, you can fly home to see them. That's really important. Once you've paid off your debt, so you've cleared your credit card, you've got it to the stage where you're paying off your balance every month, then you can build up a proper cash buffer, and that's going to be three to six months of expenses. So remember from from a previous step, you have you're now tracking your expenses, so you know pretty much how much you are living on every Mm. month. Therefore, once you know that, you can start planning. So you're you're like, okay, I've got three to six months of expenses and I'm going to put that in the bank. It doesn't necessarily need to be, if you're you're an expat, it doesn't necessarily need to be in the country that you're living in. Yeah, it's quite interesting tracking your expenses. Since we last spoke, we both started doing it. Keith sent me the app. (laughs) It's so, I realized how much money I spent on coffee. Yeah, coffee's <laughs> expensive. So much money on coffee. It's crazy. It's, cra- but it's crazy, because you've got, I realized I have my cash. I have online payments where I'll just do something with my credit card. And then there's also stuff that's like on auto payments. And that's there's, there's way more auto payments than I realized. There's the TV subscription. There's the phone bill. There's Netflix. O- there's Netflix. There's, there's a bu- exactly. There's like four, four Netflix type subscriptions that I have audible something else, something else, something else. It's like, okay, whoa. I Now I have to write this down. It's like, ah, okay. And like you said, I could usually buy a protein bar or two in the gym every day. And it's like, well, I'm not going to buy that because I don't need it. Yeah. And I'm going to have to read that, what does it say, 40 dirhams every day for a week 
that's 200 dirhams a week. That's 800 dirhams a month. Mm. Yeah, it also you also realize how much money you spend every day. Yeah. It's like, this is ridiculous. I really spend this much money every yeah. day? It's such a yeah. useful tool. Yeah, and once you track it, then you can optimize it. Mm. Um, so so that's that's really important. And, and with each of these things, especially the auto subscriptions, you need to think, does this make me happy? And does it make me so happy that I'm prepared to see this on my expenses every month? And, and it's impacting my net savings rate. Um, and then just make a judgment accordingly. Like Netflix, for some people, it, it, it's a way to relax in the evening. It's not that expensive. Mm. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, but some uh, subscriptions, or, or if you are subscribed to Netflix and Hulu mm. and Amazon Prime yeah. and something else, you probably just need one of them. Because yeah. right? you shouldn't be watching that much TV. Yeah. So, mm. so, so just, just chop those. Or... You say, this month, I'm going to go on a Netflix diet. I'm going to stop drinking coffee from Starbucks or mm. wherever and, and just challenge yourself to just cut those things out. And what you'll probably find is that you never, ever go back onto them. Yeah. So so that's worth trying as well, is a, is a little diet, a little Netflix diet. Yeah, financial diet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so building a cash buffer, mm-hmm. um, once you've got your expenses managed, then you need to have three to six months. Obviously, the beauty of chopping down your expenses is that then you don't need such a big cash buffer. Um, and in fact, you don't need such a big investment portfolio. Um, so so reducing expenses is just the way to happiness within reason. So what target would you say for a cash buffer? <coughs> three months or six months? Because I was talking about this with a couple of my friends since. And it's almost like if you, I, we felt if you have a, fixed salary every month x amount you know what you're getting paid all the way through these 12 month cycles maybe three months might be enough but when we don't know what we're making in three four five six months time i don't think three months is enough to cover because it could take a couple of months before i realize that there's a big dip i don't know that sounds a bit counterintuitive but like we know the summer is going to be quiet but it's only in September, October now that I get to really feel how quiet the summer was. I I totally agree. I think you should, if you are in an industry where cash flow is very seasonal or unpredictable. Which is the fitness industry, yeah. really. Absolutely. But maybe you could do it, sorry to interrupt you, quarterly, because generally in the fitness industry, you're going to have f- January, February, March that are going to be very busy months. Then you know March, April, May is going to be fairly busy as well. You know that like June, July, August is going to be really quiet. Yeah. So you could potentially do an average of those months. What's your previous income for those three months? What's the average of those? And then go, okay, this is roughly what I'm going to earn for, for that quarter monthly. I think yeah. the, the challenge is that, is that it, it, it depends on your expenses and whether your expenses change that much in January and in July. So if your expenses are exactly the same in July, but your income is almost nothing, then you definitely need a cash buffer. So so if you know what the average of your expenses is, in, in an unpredictable industry, I would err on the side of six months expenses, um, unless you have some other income stream. So if you do have some side hustle, let's say you're, you've got an online course and it brings in regular income without you having to do too much, then take it into account. Net that off your expenses. Then you don't need such a big buffer. Um, 
but if you don't have something like that then absolutely six months in the bank it will it will save you a whole world of problems and it will give you that internal confidence it, it's all about resilience and financial resilience that if for some reason you don't make any money for three months nothing mm-hmm. you will still be fine mm. and during those three months because you're tracking all of this stuff I'm sure you'll be working damn hard to try and find another source of income anyway. So so that's the that's the cash buffer. So number seven. Number seven is to understand any uh short term investments that you are going to make. So um if in a year's time you know that you need to buy a car or you want to put down a deposit on a house or uh, your child has some kind of education expense that they're starting, and you know this is coming, then make sure you're aware of it and budget for it in advance and start saving for it in advance. Because the ultimate goal is number eight, which is to uh, to start making your long-term investments, like your retirement fund, and, um, and put as much money in that as you can start making possible. long-term investments is that number eight so yeah long-term investments and that's the big one everything you're doing here on your journey towards financial independence is heading towards number eight which is building up this big base of money that you will never need to touch it's your seven generations money right if you look at cambridge or harvard they have these endowment funds and they never touch the money that's been invested. They just scoop off the interest okay. off the top and the growth off the top. And that's you know billions, millions of dollars um, because the investment fund is billions of dollars. You need to start doing the same so that you're building this capital base, this money base, so that you will never ever in your lifetime hopefully touch the majority of this money you will just invest it so it grows um, and you'll just scoop off some of that growth off the top which means the majority of it you will never touch that is when you're financially independent and you're super resilient and that's what you're aiming to build and you'll find it can build quite fast if you're doing all of these things yeah. properly. So so this is what we're aiming towards. But you can't really start doing that until if you know that in a year's time you have to make a payment of $50,000. You shouldn't be investing that $50,000 in the stock market because the market's too volatile. So make sure you know that these things are coming. Uh, there's not that many of them, but if there's a specific thing, then um, plan for it and and start investing for it and you should probably invest that money um either in a high interest savings account or in some kind of money market or fixed income fund like a a bond or something like that but probably not in the stock market if there's a fixed date when you know you're going to need this money so then the big one long-term investments this is where it starts to get exciting because you've done so well on your journey to financial independence, finally, you're able to start saving properly. And this is where I recommend that you start investing in the stock market 
and this is where everyone gets scared because they're like, oh, the stock market, mm. you know, who knows what, I don't understand it, it's too technical. You have to study it every every day. You have to be on the phone to your stockbroker saying, buy, sell. Um, the stock market has just gone down 5 to 10% this week. If you've seen the headlines, some of the headlines have just been absolutely mind-blowing. It's like, this is the end for the stock market. Terrible crash, disaster. All the words that you could possibly think of that mean kind of an apocalyptic disaster. Put people into panic mode. Yeah, they've all been wheeled out last week. This week, sentiment seems to change. Things are a bit better. We've hit the bottom. It's it's only up from here. It, the whole thing is ridiculous. And And when I say investing in the stock market... I want you to forget all of these stupid headlines. You never want to look at them because you're going to be doing a very different kind of investing, very sensible, very calm, never looking at the news and just investing like a machine every month or every quarter, very regularly. And and if you do that, you do that for the rest of your life and then you wake up in 40 years time have your cardiologist standing by because <laughs> you might get a massive heart attack when you see just how much money you've made. And obviously the the end goal with this long-term investment is so that when you do decide to retire at 40 or 50 years old, you can retire and not have to worry about, oh, I have to, I've got no money to pay rent or I've got no money for this. You can live the life that you want, which is like you can pay for your expenses, you could travel, you could do all of things. That's the, the ultimate goal, right? Absolutely. It's that your investments are generating so much money and so much growth that you don't need to work so hard to cover your living expenses. And though you may not have to work at all. Or that you can have, going back to the burger flipping, that you can have a job where you literally have three PT clients a week because you love it. But you don't need the money. So you once you've got this working and you've got this starting to build, then you need to and and very quickly the way to do this is to invest in cheap diversified passive index funds now i know that sounds like jargon you need to keep your fees super low if you're investing in one of these terrible long-term savings plans in dubai the fees are insanely high so when you say super low what does that look like what is super low below one percent okay like i believe i believe that anyone can invest by themselves mm. um Certainly below 2%, um, but, but ideally below 1%. And I really believe people can do this themselves. It's not, it's not very difficult. You want to invest in something that just tracks the market um, because that, that is nice and cheap. And over time, the market, we're talking 20, 30 years, the market invariably goes up. And so it might go down in the short term, in the week, in the year. There'll always be times when it drops, maybe even crazily, like 30%, 50%. But as long as you don't need to take your money out, it doesn't matter. Because every month you're putting that money in. And then if it drops down 50%, you should be delighted. Because like, wow, the stock market's going on sale by 50%. <laughs> Fill your boots. Like, let's put that money in. And and you're just doing that very automatically. Um, so uh, if people are interested, you can check out uh, a Vanguard ETF 
such as uh, VWRD, that's the FTSE All Wealth Fund, it invests in thousands of stock markets, uh, thousands of stocks in about 47 different countries around the world. Uh, so it's hugely diversified. And, and with that, uh, you should be able to grow your money fairly rapidly in a very safe and sensible way just by investing an amount every month whether the stock market is going up or down. We'll go more into that another time, I think. Mm -hmm. sure. um, number nine is is about getting your pensions and your tax situation and your insurance sorted out. Um, if you've got kids or a wife, it's worth, or a husband, it's worth getting some kind of life insurance. I recommend term insurance rather than whole life insurance. What that means is that term insurance is literally just insuring your life. There are other products called whole life insurance, which is, is a strange mix of uh, life insurance plus savings. And again, it's a very complex product, which is basically designed to take lots of fees off you. Um, term life is super simple. Um, and you can invest over 20, 30 years. It's a much cleaner product, um, and it's much cheaper. And then the uh, because it's so cheap, the the difference that you would be investing every month between the term life and the in the whole life insurance, you just take that difference and you invest it yourself. And that way, you know that you're investing it cheaply and sensibly. So, uh, if you have pensions overseas um, in in your home country. Uh, from some previous job in some previous life, just make sure that they're be that's being invested sensibly. Uh, if you have some tax situation that you need to be aware of, just make sure that you're on top of that. And that's just like rounding everything out. And then finally, uh, number 10 is, is just um, iteration. So just going back through all of this, um, I would just call it like review. So I didn't really know how to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> so just just review everything because to get from step one to step nine, it's very easy to get stuck at one particular step. What I would say is keep going, keep pushing through, make sure you understand all the steps and then come back around again. And, and once you've started investing uh, for your long term in the stock market, then you can go back and, and look at your expenses. And look at your net worth and go, is my net worth growing fast enough? Are my expenses too high or maybe too low? Is it time that I stop living on beans mm. and yeah. uh, and start granting myself a little bit more fun? Beans and toast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so then uh, do go back and, and review all this stuff periodically. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So we might, we may at some point in the future go through this long-term investments one in a bit more detail. Uh but there's a lot there to really sort of get stuck into for the time, for the moment, for the time yeah, being. Yeah, lots of homework for everyone yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, and it's really useful already on the comments on our yeah. social media. Pe there's people saying that this is a very important topic. Great. Yeah, and if anything, even for us too, like yeah. it's, made, it's opened both of our eyes as well to, uh-oh, yeah. <laughs> we need to be adults. But it's awesome. Now, I now, I, now it's been mapped out. This is the landscape. Now it's down to me. And I know there's certain things I need to be considering all the way to the point where I'm in this review stage. So now I know how far into it I need to go, how deep I need to go. Is it scary? What things I need to consider? When I get stuck on different parts or whatever, I know who to contact. I've got 
yourself and Alan, mm. Andrew's put a bit of uh, pressure on us. Next time he's in town, he's going to come back and do a do a spot check on how we've been doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I recommend, if you want to know more about the investing step, I think Andrew Hallam's book, The Millionaire Expat, is fantastic. I think Tony Robbins' book, Unshakable, mm, yeah, is we fantastic. Um, I've written some blog posts on, on my site, uh, deadsimplesaving.com, about how to invest as an expat from an offshore com- uh, country um, in the stock market because it's not entirely straightforward and everything's mapped out there. That Those three sources should really give you everything you need to know um, about how to do this. And I think what's important as well is to just, because for me, I'm going to have to go through this again and again and again because it's something I know nothing about until it really resonates. There's, there's, thing, there's things now today that have resonated with me differently and at the next level than our previous two conversations. So I think it's important to go deep on this repeater, even though we're repeating some of the stuff we spoke about last time. And Andrew, it's still very important to actually making the message sink in to, to monkey brains like mine that don't <laughs> understand finance. I need to, we need to go through over and over again. I think this is all brilliant. Mm. Yeah, and don't beat yourself yeah. up. If you, if you don't understand something, uh, no one's expecting you to. No one taught you this at school. Um, it's full of jargon. It, it's a it's a very different approach to life. Uh, just take it slowly. Make sure you understand everything. Make sure it sits comfortably with you. Um, but what you will realize that a lot of it is very intuitive, and you can see that no one's trying to sell you anything by doing this. No mm. one's making any money out of you. Hardly. Um, this is just a very intuitive, sensible, steady path. Amazing. And so people can get a hold of you on deadsimplesaving.com? Yeah, deadsimplesaving.com. Uh, Instagram, I'm deadsimplesteve. And uh, yeah, people can get in touch if they've got any questions or comments uh, anytime. Awesome. And we'll have you on to go through this number eight at some point in the future. And Caroline and I are stuck. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, no, all good. Cool. Thank you so much, Steve, again. So informative yeah. and uh, yeah, amazing. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.